Welcome to the Agent Carter Radio Program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says "Hubba Bubba" to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve. It's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Hello, gorgeous. The Agent Carter Radio Program by Fantastic Geek for episode two hundred eight: The Edge of Mystery is brought to you by Dr. Samberly's Flash Gordon Gamma Cannon. He may only come charged for one shot, but he makes it a good one. News of the hour! In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest need to know. Pete, let's go back to a year ago, the past. Yes, New York City, 1946, the Nitramine mission, Matt, which by my count was uh, either episode one or episode two of uh, Agent Carter back when Peggy was a buxom blonde. Well, one of those things hasn't changed, but Pete, what has changed is here we're gumping with Anna as she overhears last season and now is part of it. Yeah, we uh, we include, uh, you know, Lottie Verbeek in there. Um, the the scene had taken place with uh, Anna off uh, camera interrupting uh, Jarvis. And I really like the way they're making use of uh, this earlier plot line in bringing her in and, and bringing our audience up to speed in terms of uh, you know, their home life, which had been much speculated past what Jarvis was telling us um, in that first season. You know, here she comes back from drawing class. They're going to do nudes next week. Uh, you know, Uchi speaking Mama. of nudes, this was a woman actually on the phone, not a man uh, who's one of Stark's associates, uh, that this one is different, that he respects her. And uh, it's almost time for Benny Goodman to start. But wait, don't distract me. There's the worry. I worry about you, Jarvis. And to move forward from that to a disheveled Edwin Jarvis at Anna's bedside post uh, surgery for her gunshot here. And, uh, you know, worrying about their very precise radio schedule, uh, trying to find some Groucho marks and, you know, what really sold it for me, um, Jarvis punching the radio. Indeed, a return to the present day, 1947! And uh, Pete, I think that he's trying to get Benny Goodman, but all he can get is Groucho marks. Uh, but, of course, uh, what is most important is that, you know, what he's searching for ultimately goes unspoken as Peggy enters and comforts him and tells him to focus on his wife saying that she'll bring Jarvis a radio, a toothbrush, and a razor. And I thought that uh, here, Pete, we see uh, certainly a good friend, perhaps a bit of the maternal on Peggy's side, but uh, certainly a touching opening. Meanwhile, Jason is waking up whilst on the floor and handcuffed Pete to a piece of machinery, and Whitney's been watching him as he sleeps. Yes, by her timing, he will begin to lose mass in about two minutes. She wants to compare notes physicist to physicist. 
He asks for a paper and pen to write that down, of course, so he can draw time out and slip out of those handcuffs and get away. Interesting. The, interestingly, the scene kind of quickly becomes about counting down to his phase shift. At least that's what I felt the scene was about. Uh, she makes reference to if he hears the dark voice too, and he does not. And it's almost shifting time. So the story moves elsewhere to Peggy returning to Stark Manor. Yes. Uh, now that she's there um, with Susa, they uh, exchange notes over what has happened with uh, with Anna, uh, Jarvis, etc. And um, they need to go see uh, Joe Manfredi, who is with Whitney. Um, you know, there's the subject of the six criminals who were gunned down. Um, as she's changing here, I like the blocking of this scene, Matt, you know, uh, man, Freddie, six criminals gunned down. Oh, he's just a man in love. Not unlike the one in this scene. It's self-referential indeed. And, uh, of course, best of all, Pete is the foretelling that old Joe man, Freddie is going to be returning to the, to the screen shortly. And that's where Peggy and Sousa go. Pete, they are at uh, that that very same restaurant uh, owned and run, we can assume, by Mr. Manfredi. And uh, Peggy and Sousa beat his goons. And Manfredi, of course, does not see a thing, probably for comic effect, uh, despite the large kitchen window separating the uh, the kitchen from the... Pete, I'm going to throw the technical term at you, the front of the house. <laughs> They came in looking for spaghetti. All that served was steak, and these guys made chopped liver out of uh, these tufts. And put it um, in a knuckle sandwich. And throw in that knuckle sandwich, or as we say in Brooklyn, sandwich. Mm. Meanwhile, Pete, from, from Los Angeles to Brooklyn to London, England, Thompson is drunk as a skunk on a runk. And he gets a very heavily redacted file from his MI something friend who, Pete, as it turns out, is interested in going to a, what appears to be a house of, of, of ladies of ill repute, if you can imagine the British doing such a thing. And uh, I thought that the gadget used here by Thompson to kind of de, uh, de-redact uh, the file to kind of read through the the blacking marker, uh, a neat gadget. And... and, and uh, uh, I don't know, points to the show for recognizing that it's 1947 and you can't go crazy with James Bond-esque gadgets, but here there's one that certainly fits the time. Spoiler Pete actually lent that to the production. I don't think anyone is surprised to hear that Spoiler Pete and Jack Thompson are in league. A league of our own, Matt. At the very least, Pete, this episode does not feature Dottie dropping the ball. With that, Pete, we get the act break, and where do we end up? Nona's Kitchen. Indeed, Pete, it's Man Freddy offering up some spicy meat to Balza, to Sousa, but not the Malocchio Carter. Sousa floats calling Man Freddy a stoolie, and suddenly Man Freddy is ready to play ball with the feds. Yeah, talks about uh, Tommy Fontana getting out of the can or the joint, one or the other. Uh, in the coming weeks, and does he know uh, that uh, Man Freddy turns state's evidence against him? Man Freddy, of course, says that that's a lie, but Sousa's playing hardball, and that uh, Fontana won't know that. 
wants um, him to get a message to Whitney Frost. Pete, we'll go deep on the geek bench here. I heard that uh, Tommy Fontana has a kid sister named Dorothy. She likes to write science fiction stories. Maybe one day we'll do a podcast about her show. But for this show, the story moves to a defazed Wilk, intrigued by Whitney's research, although Petey still doesn't hear the dark voices. Yeah, I think it was interesting the way they started to float this. I'm surprised they waited as long as they did to kind of differentiate a little bit more of the zero matter effect on or between the two of them. Um, you know, there's there's the lighthearted banter where Jason is talking about how Whitney is a mass murderer of rats. Um, you know, she's calling this a gift. And then, you know, oh, you got to listen for it. It'll guide you. Um, and Freddie shows up with his uh, uh, urgent message here. And um, Whitney counsels uh, Wilkes on listening to it. Um Man, Freddie tells her that uh, Peggy has visited, wants the scientist bad, and uh, is willing to trade the uranium rods for that uh, in exchange if he is unharmed. She tells him to tell Peggy they've got a deal. I like here some of the uh, oh, kind of gender gender relationship type stuff here, particularly with uh, Man Freddie kind of playfully demanding a smooch uh, from Whitney. Um, there, there's just kind of this, there's this gender dynamic that does not suit Whitney as a person. I think it's in line with the character in that she kind of knows she needs to be aligned with Manfredi, but uh, only makes us dislike Manfredi, which I suppose we have to since he is on the bad guy side. Jarvis still bedside with Anna. Uh, desperate here for her to wake up, begins making a series of promises not to, to bite the fork when he eats, to take her to a Burmese mountaintop, um, you know, but that he would ultimately protect her t until his dying day if she please would wake up. She does. Uh, she was with him from the Burmese mountaintop. Matt, I think that can't as a detail fail to go unnoticed um, with uh, the zero matter connection uh, and the, the dark realm here with Dr. Strange um, and the idea that ultimately Stephen Strange is going to wind up in, in Tibet in that part of the world on mountaintops. Interesting choice beyond the exotic. It is. And I felt that the, the, the the acting moment for James Darcy here was a magic one, and I felt that it was frankly belied by how immediately she wakes up, or you know, more accurately, has been awake for part of it. Um, I, I just felt that there was this. I don't like how the story did. You know, one set up two in terms of please, oh please, come back as he's kind of pleading to the universe for his wife's life and to suddenly be given it back. I just kind of. Personally, I would have said, give us a scene in between so his great plea has time to echo before the wish is granted. It was a touching scene here. And again, I can't say enough about Lottie Verbeek. And, and you know, we've not gotten enormous helpings of her, Anna, but the ones that we have have always satisfied. 
Well, Pete, while I'm wagging a finger a bit at the writing, uh, it continues in the capper of this scene. The the doctor uh, takes Jarvis out in the hall and uh, opens with the bad news. If you plan to have children, you won't now. How about, like, lead with the good news? Hey, she's alive. Hey, there's this. Hey, there's that. And then share the bad stuff. I know why. It's because the doctor is there to quickly share a narrative point and take us to the act break. Yeah, we need the upping of the Annie for Jarvis. Um, you know, that they bring Anna back. Okay, what's what's the cost going to be? I almost feel, Matt, that they're a little towards the end um, in terms of the believability of the two of them uh, starting a family in terms of age. Um, but again, it's, uh, you know, it's TV drama, so we can gloss past that, but we've got to give, uh, Jarvis some stake here moving forward. Um, and then we throw in the idea that he's not going to tell Anna that he's just been told, uh, they can no longer have children, tells her she's perfect. Um, I think we get why but at the same time you know alongside the doctor saying well we have a nurse who can sit with her and tell her you know because twin beds and all um 1947 but i don't know i i tend to agree with you here this felt uh very incongruous as a, a scene coming together either this is a show that presents our better angels, a world where uh, a, a female agent and a scientist of color and an Asian doctor all coexist, which likely was was not to be found all in the same uh, uh, interactions in, in 1947 Los Angeles. So either we're going to present kind of an optimistic uh, past uh, or we're going to make this kind of slavishly uh representative of of the reality and this has always been a show that clearly with you know hypnotistic russians and and black matter interdimensional uh you know who's he what's it's a show that that is leaning towards the fiction so i don't know why this is a moment where you know let's not be honest with this woman about uh, a, a female capability that that you know she's no longer capable of let's Let's kind of pat her on the head and, and 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 baby her about it. I'm just not sure kind of which end of the spectrum this show is giving us. Is it giving us, you know, 1947, hey, yo, it's kind of you have the fun, or is it giving us the alternative, which is where the show usually ends up? Right. Regardless, Pete, after the act break, we're back in the basement of Stately Stark Manor, and there Pete is Aloysius Herbert Samberly. I didn't forget to write down his name this time. What's his middle name? It's Herbert, Pete. I know because I care. The more you know. <laughs> uh, but they are preparing for the swap of the uranium rods for Dr. Wilkes here. Um, Peggy is ready to go. And uh, Jarvis shows up here catching up. Where are you headed? Uh, finds out what's going on here. And as I mentioned before, the stakes for him, the loss of uh, natural born children for he and his wife, he wants to be there. He wants to make her pay. 
And suddenly, Matt, nothing like a plot point like Mr. Stark's telex machine going off. You mean the deus ex starkina, which suddenly rescues the story from a from what could have been a pause point and gives them exactly what they need when they need it? Pete, the only way that this could get more convenient is if Zeus himself came down and said, I shall throw the thunderbolt. Call me when you need me. Um, which is essentially what's done. Build the gamma radiation cannon that could kill Whitney. Right. If, if the thunderbolt were design specifics for... A, uh, a gamma cannon, uh, but gamma radiation, and that's a big name check, obviously, in terms of what would ultimately happen with Bruce Banner and some connection with uh, Captain America as well with uh, Steve Rogers. But um, some speculation on Sam Raleigh's part that this could eliminate zero matter. Uh, that he could possibly build this. They're uh, dealing with a tight time frame. The handoff is in an hour. Uh, Jarvis now will take the place of Samberly as the driver. So it's an eloquent solution as far as that is concerned. Upstairs, Thompson is there, ready to discredit uh, Carter. And Pete, can you imagine the very notion of a of a federal law enforcement officer being more concerned with the investigation than the, the than the personal security and personal privacy that is Stark Manor? I couldn't possibly believe such a thing would ever happen in these United States. No, but of uh, Larry Curley and Mo, uh, Peggy being Mo. He would like a word. Side note, I've never liked the Three Stooges. Just figured I'd share. I thought that was a good time. <laughs> it's the only time in any podcast we're ever going to do that the Three Stooges are going to come up. So I took my shot and I went for it. Much like Aloysius Herbert Samberley's gamma radiation cannon later in the episode. Hashtag it's all connected. Yeah, but here um, Jack is working on the leverage for uh, Peggy um, that... Uh, she has something obviously on him in terms of his war record, um, unspoken this season, but certainly implied, um, and that he has something now on her June 1944 uh, alleged war crimes. Indeed, I th had people wondering on Twitter, Pete, if we have seen this war crime or not. I guess the, the jury's still out on that one. But uh, certainly this idea that uh, Peggy says that Thompson should be trusting her, not Masters, is something that uh, is highlighted. And uh, as it turns out, rather, rather a good bit, of, uh, good bit of advice for where the episode is headed. Um, but first, the story moves to a flirty drove man, Freddy, yay, saying that the mark on Whitney's face represents power, and power is beauty. She shouldn't hide it from the rest of the world. Um, that mark makes her uh, that much more different and powerful. But just as he's uh, getting a little uh, aperitif, Matt, he's going to have to take a rain check on that because they're here. Pete, luckily nobody in 1947 is actually an alcoholic. You just drink a lot to make the pain of the war disappear deep, deep in your heart. But let's not talk about that because Carter's truck is alive and it's or has arrived, rather. If it was alive, be, Pete, can you imagine that? Peggy Carter in a talking truck? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fantastic. It'd be like Knight Rider 1948. 
Wow. I'm telling you, Pete, it's it's genius. But we'll we'll get in touch with Fazekas and Butters on that one later. Um, but because right now, Pete, they're there to swap the uranium for Jason. And what's in the back of the truck? The ecto containment unit. Yes, uh, Peggy is surprised that uh, Jason is in solid form. Uh, now that everybody's seen the goods, it's time for the exchange. Whitney uh, wonders aloud that it's a pity that two such accomplished women, herself and Peggy, should stand on opposite sides. They run the verification on the uranium rods and they read at the requisite 35,000 CPMs or do they, Matt? Well, Pete, in what I thought was, uh, I dare say, a slight little bit of uh, writerly bobbling, the the exchange happens, and then, because nobody latched the case, whoops-a-doodle, the nuclear fuel just falls out, but it doesn't react as uranium does, because we all know how uranium falls out of a case and then does things. So, whoops, the jig is up, and gunfire ends the act. What is a, I want to say, deus ex, and... Um, what could we call the guy who dropped it and uh, DXX Klutz? DXX. Deus Ex Klutzina? Uh, uh, we need something a little bit more, like like less Germanic, more yeah, uh, yeah. Deus Ex Gunia. Nah. Eh. I know this, Pete. After the act break, Carter and company are on the run, and Pete Frost and company are hardly following. Yeah, uh, the, the, the chase is happening here, but uh, the real drama is in the back of the car, uh, the truck rather. Ultimately, Matt, Jason turns the gun on Peggy. Um, she's convinced as she's uh, you know going to mention a couple times throughout the rest of the episode, he's being affected by the zero matter. Um, and then he turns the gun on Daniel because he knows that he cares for Peggy. Um, and by the time that, uh, you know, things really come to a head, he has vanished, yet then able to become solid again and open a door outside of the containment unit. So that really was slightly confusing from a logistical standpoint. Pete, I read it that uh, Wilk's ability to ghost dad himself out of the <laughs> <laughs> out of the truck and into the pickup car just shows a greater mastery of his powers. There you go. Uh, but we're off to the SSR here, where uh, Jack is being congratulated by Vernon Masters. Uh, Jack wonders about the validity of the file. It's too good to be true, but. Vernon is uh, lecturing him on such validity that this is an official document, that it's true regardless of the truth. And suddenly, Matt, there's a call. There's a woman on the line who knows his access code, his eight-digit access code. This has to be Peggy, right? Oh, absolutely. And Thompson steps steps out of the office, and I would have liked if they pushed the angles of the bullpen a little bit more to just kind of really sell in, you know, widescreen TV that Thompson is is clear of uh, Master's view. But 
oh well, no one asked me to block the scene. Um, Thompson picks up the phone, and Pete, surprise of surprises, it's Whitney Frost on the line. Really, what we're expecting all along, but again, such is the nature of uh, TV drama in terms of moving the story forward. Uh, you know, here in the snippet of the conversation that he needs to retrieve it at once. Um, spoken like someone who has a choice. Indeed. The story moves to the lab and Masters is there for the uh, uranium. And Thompson confronts him. Pete, Pete, through the darkness, is that a glisten of Thompson's uh, redemption? Is he is he going to be a good guy after all? Are you hearing voices? <laughs> I may be. Um, bottom line, though, Masters isn't happy with him, particularly seeing that Thompson has taken the stand for uh the good guys and not the bad guys uh and pete i like that there's kind of the the briefest of narrative jumps here how will masters show his lack of happiness while we move to peggy and susa in the hallway uh they arrive finding that thompson has had his memory zapped we the audience are ahead of the reveal i suspect and um it's really nice to see thompson move from kind of woozy baby almost to his full speed realizing he's been duped and uh positively contributing to things for once to go from heel um to somebody that we can get back behind um you know such has been his arc throughout the season but the uranium is gone um he doesn't remember what happened but he remembers earlier that he was on the phone he wasn't talking he was listening and there are the coordinates to whitney frost matt act break after the act break, we have Thompson locking and loading, definitely ready to be one of the good guys after an entire season and a half of being a scumbag. And Pete, with there being action... I, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, period specific, Matt. I, I don't think they use that term. Um, I'll look it up right now on my encyclopedia. <laughs> um, it just but, felt a little rough. Felt a little rough. Scumbag scumbag um pete that originates from the 14th century from middle dutch skume meaning foam or froth i'll let you guys take it from there um <laughs> wow uh i think i said exactly what i wanted to about thompson um okay. right. but pete with the clock ticking so cal you know hangs in the balance Now's a great time to have a side scene where Peggy and Sousa talk all blah, 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 lovey-duffy mission wishing about how you would act because I care for you. And, oh, my goodness, can we have these two professionals go do their professional job, please, and not talk about feelings, nothing more than feelings. I got more out of the Jack stuff in this scene, to be honest. Not that, you know, we can't have this scene where the two of them are talking about their feelings, um, but... Jack's contribution in terms of pointing out that their backup is a lab rat and a butler, uh, that Sousa assesses that he's being honest at this point and knows him well enough to know he's in his right mind. Um, Peggy talking about uh, Wilkes. Sousa's convinced he's no longer a hostage. Instead, he's, he's turned to the hostile. Uh, Peggy, again, he's been affected by this, the zero matter with the sympathetic uh, you know, feelings for him and Sousa uh, telling her that she needs to be dispassionate here. There may be difficult decisions to make. 
Um, and she blames Sousa for Whitney Frost even having the zero matter in the first place. So just to review here, we have the most admirable and sympathetic male character in the show telling the title character, a female title character, not to be emotional and to get ready for the tough physical mission. Yeah. That stands That stands on its own, just as it is. Uh, meanwhile, in the lobby, uh, Rose and, uh, and Aloysius, they have some witty repartee, Pete, uh, but it's interrupted by Jarvis asking Rose to take care of Anna in case he doesn't get back, and he hands over a mystery thing that we have yet to see. To Will see, we see it, Pete? To see the radiant Leslie Boone late in this episode as Rose and to entrust the character and the actress to do what she does here. Great to see her back. Um, and we really are looking at Jarvis here in terms of the mission that he feels he has to complete. And we know, you know, when he's talking about this uh, special mug and now there's a note that uh, – this is uh, desperate, Matt, in terms of his hope for revenge. It certainly is, and I'm, I, I was not clear at this point in the episode or even through the end of the episode exactly what they might be setting up. I mean, obviously you have one or two options, the thumbs up or the thumbs down, um, and I guess time will tell. But uh, the story then moves to the wilds of Los Angeles County, and, uh, you know, Carter and company kind of making their, their dash to the coordinates. Um, we see this, uh, this location then from Whitney's vantage point. And Pete, it's a nuclear bomb test site. Yeah, they've uh, got a 90-minute lead that uh, Jack had estimated. And we have all the players positioned, Matt. We have Whitney. We have Vernon. Man, Freddie is there. You know, he's always liked fireworks, well, fire, really. Um, and we have Wilkes there wondering, will it work? What will happen? Um, but Whitney says to just listen to that whisper in his head, in her head, that she knows that it will. And then it's time to light the candle. Indeed, she's confident that there will be the creation of more dark matter and their ability to sop it up a a dynamic duo, if you will. Peggy and company appear to be too late. The bomb goes off. The rift, uh, the rift rather, opens more and more. Pete, this time it's Jason who hears the voice, not Whitney. And the rift seems to take him. And then he's gone and Whitney rages at the dark spot to end the act. Pete, after the act break, Peggy and company are creating their gamma pulse machine, hoping that it will shut the rift. Yeah, will it reach that far? It might not even go off. Uh, Sam Burley points out, you're asking me to judge something I've never fired, uh, hitting something I've never even imagined, which was, you know, uh, effective as far as the reaction. Jarvis doesn't want Whitney to get away. Um, Sam Burley talks about how he's only got one charge, so they're really going to need to be accurate. Um and uh, I liked between uh, Sousa 
and uh, Jack as uh, Sam Lee is preparing this. What do we do? We do as Peggy says in unison. And Pete, if that doesn't give you enough sizzle on your steak, the conflict spices are added with the debate over shooting the rift versus shooting Whitney. Jarvis wants the latter, and Pete, it makes things terribly exciting because we need more conflict, conflict, conflict. Yeah, this pulse is going to travel at a parabolic arc. Techity, tech, tech, tech. Uh, safety first, boys. Let's put the goggles on. The rift closes, and Wilk's body emerges in a ditch below it movement oddly similar matt to something we've seen on another marvel show underneath his skin indeed uh dare they dare they tread familiar territory in order to keep the jeff Loeb decree hashtag it's all connected i suppose time will tell pete in uh well in our next podcast and in the next uh the next week or so as we we enter the, the the waning days of season two of Agent Carter. But Pete, with that major conflict resolved, the story returns to the hospital, and Rose is there when Anna wakes. Pete, as they start to play Hangman, oh, Hangman, Pete, that, that 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 game of metaphor of of death. What else has Jarvis left? His last will and testament. Yeah, dated for July 9th, nineteen forty-seven. So amidst talk of apple tort and uh hey you get to guess first having that very weighty subject hanging over uh the proceedings there jarvis streaks into the scene here shoots whitney despite protests from peggy not to do it uh what did you do um wilkes she discovers is breathing the problem is so is Whitney, the zero matter stopping the bullet. Man, Freddie shows up. He's ready to plug him. Oh. Hey, she needs him alive. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. Let's start with Whitney. Whitney Frost, a staple of the lineup throughout this season and the addition in this episode of this guiding voice, uh, the zero matter, uh, influencing her direction, telling her what to do, maybe some idea of a bigger bad even out there. Slightly single tone in this episode in her badness that said she's had such uh, good twists and turns for the the previous seven episodes uh, i suppose this is the payoff here and certainly uh certainly it's noted uh you know her her, her power is and her her, her power over manfredi and the city and all of that so definitely deserving the top spot in the lineup speaking of joseph manfredi our comical uh mobster uh, here taking uh, divergent turns, the comic relief with Peggy and the tough guy, alpha male, when he's around Whitney. Uh, he is just a wonderful addition. The character, the actor, Ken Marino, it's, he, it's as mentioned before, the show has one foot in, you know, kind of vaguely real 1947 and one foot in in optimistic, unreal 1947. And 
I don't know that he's realistic, but he's kind of of the time, of the period, of what we see in the movies and that kind of thing. And I, just such a great addition, even though he's a very bad man. Um, Pete, who's next on the list? Jack. <gasps> Jack, who, let's, let's not forget, did start the episode a bad guy. Although, you know, Pete, you, uh, you go all the way to London, England to get a file and then find out that you've been duped. Uh, I guess that could turn even the, the questionable Jack to the forces of good. Yeah, it's interesting in the way, particularly in this episode. All right, we're going to start the redemptive aspect. And although not quite sure how far that ultimately might go, given where he's been all season, um, Chad Michael Murray's performance has certainly been what the part has called for. I don't know if necessarily the character uh, has needed to be this way. I think that, you know, we've seen the golden boy who is used to success, who gets, you know, gets success by the end of the first season. And then we don't see him being especially unfair at the start of the second season, although we don't like him and he's not as open-minded as Sousa and Carter, etc. Um, Pete, there, there is still good in him. I can feel it. And I think that uh, I'll certainly be satisfied if uh, this season ends with him acknowledging Peggy in a way that he he did not last season. I am not sure, however, Matt, that there is still good in Dr. Jason Wilkes. No, I think he's definitely taken a turn to the dark matter side. Zing. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more why. Um, particularly since he's apparently doing these phase shifts, um, and we don't see it. I don't know if that's supposed to be suggestive of something or if it's just a, you know, and the story goes to a less expensive, you know, scene. Um, so certainly some mystery there with two episodes to go. And certainly Vernon Masters, uh, somebody who's also wound up on our lineup quite a bit this season here really in that supporting role even in terms of what he's dealing with in jack there seems no big hammer that they're holding over peggy this is a forged document and yes we get it for the the time and place it's 1947 it's the word of the military against that of a woman of course it's it's going to trump anything that she says but it it really highlights the dastardly nature of uh, this character and his agenda. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel, time to take a gander at what the G-Men don't want you to know. Pete, where do our secrets start? What has become of Dr. Jason Wilkes, Matt? The movement beneath his skin, correct me if I'm wrong, his... His head there looked slightly elongated once he had uh, come back from the rift. Um, Seemed very familiar uh, to me or evocative of the same type of uh, skittery little critters we had going on underneath the characters on uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. side. I certainly would appreciate if this has been a long way around exploring another story element of shield. And I don't mean that to say, you know, Oh, this diminishes agent Carter because it's just, uh, 
a supporting detail to shield if they kind of explore uh the same force two different ways i i would appreciate that particularly if it's not clear the way it was say peggy carter's um guest starring roles in shield last year where it was very much talking to, to what's going on in the episode um i don't know if that's a likely conclusion i think that they've worked with exactly how they want the different shows to be related to each other but uh it's it, it's an idea that holds promise Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us a the Twitter. Pete, where shall we begin in the old mailbag? We will begin on Facebook, where uh, Lisa Weinrich uh, left us this message. Wow, didn't expect to hear my name on your podcast. Uh, Lisa had made a fringe fast travel comment that we had discussed last week. Neat. I look forward to your podcast as much as I look forward to agent Carter and shield. My son's theory is that Vernon masters brought Dottie with him. And that is how she ended up on the West coast. Did masters invite or order Jack Thompson to be his plus one. So Jack could tag along and meet all those important people. Any ideas to how Peggy knew where Dottie was? I I like that because it's a better answer than the writers just do a swoop, swoop, swoop and don't tell you how she got cross country and don't tell you how she got Dottie back and don't, don't, don't. Um, I, I, I somehow suspect that the show will not show that. Maybe there'll be a deleted scene or, or, or something like that. But I would love to be wrong and love to hear uh, and see Lisa's theory reach fruition and, and her son's theory as well. I guess it should be shared authorship there. I'm going to chalk it up to uh, secret SSRLA uh, criminal study unit, and uh, she just happened to be out there. But uh, time will tell. Matt, we also have a Facebook message from Robert T. Frost. Episodes 206 and 207, this is the Agent Carter we have been waiting for all season, referring to the two-episode block that aired prior to this episode we're podcasting about tonight. As a father of two daughters, I was pleased to see not just one strong female character, but three Peggy Carter as our hero, Whitney Frost as our villain, and Dottie as our villain slash reluctant anti-hero. The only person missing is Rose. Would love to me some more Rose in action. I'm guessing there's a missing word there, maybe C. Um, it was interesting that Wilkes was able to draw some dark matter out of Whitney Frost. It seems that dark matter is attracted to itself. With Whitney Frost slowly heading towards the presumed Madame Mask, is there uh, a character that Dr. Wills is gradually changing into? Can someone with better knowledge of Marvel Comics help out here? Ooh, certainly a good question. It's beyond, it's beyond my pay grade. Uh, I did wonder if that one shot of Wilkes uh, when he's kind of in the pit where his head looks elongated, um, and then it appears not to be. I don't know if that was a hint towards something or if that was just uh, the actor's head at a particular uh, angle that might be slightly less than flattering. But uh, 
I guess we'll, we'll put it out there to the listeners. Is is Jason a proto uh, pre-existing bad guy? But Pete, for every bad guy, there must be a good guy. And there's even famous guys like you because you're practically a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J Ketelar K E T E L A A R seven thousand ninety nine followers can't be wrong. Closer and closer. While I am personally on the Twitter as looking back lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. Pete, there's more though. Yes, facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word. What it is is you go on your fancy teletype machine and you type in those uh, coordinates. You go there and you click a little thumbs up, thus proving you like us because we like you. Also want to mention as well, if you don't like words but prefer pictures, we have an electronic photo album on the Instagram. We're Fantastic Geek there, too. Because with Fantastic Geek, it's the way to go. With that, Pete, I'll say goodbye, goodnight, good luck to one and all. And with what wacky words will you close tonight? What about me? Take me! 